Amen. Thank you, JT, and singers, musicians, beautiful singing. The Lord is faithful, amen? amen? Truly He is, and He is good. We should sing about that goodness, amen. Look in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. It's just about right in the middle of your Bible, pretty close to it. If you need to look at the index in the front, that's okay. Go ahead and do that, because um, we want you to uh, look at this passage with us. We're back to this passage again. Last, last Sunday, I started a series on Russia and uh, Armageddon. That was prompted, of course, by uh, Putin and his Russian military invading uh, Ukraine. And uh, so I started this series. I was already in a series. We'll go back to that series when I'm through with this one for a few weeks. Uh, to try to make sense, maybe, of what's going on in the world. It's not my purpose to talk about what I think we should do or what could have been done. My purpose to, in this series is to see how what is going on could affect Bible prophecy. And does it have something to do with pr Bible prophecy? Could it have something to do with Bible prophecy? And etc. And uh, chapter 38 and 39 of Ezekiel tells about an invasion that's going to take place. Now, it's not the invasion into the Ukraine. This is an invasion that will take place in Israel in the last days, as we're told. And uh, uh, so we're looking that this is our main text for this series. Well, let's read just the first two verses. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, that's he speaking to Ezekiel. God speaking to him. Remember, I mentioned it last week. This is how we get our Bible. This is inspiration. God speaks directly to the people who have written the Bible for us. And uh, here he speaks directly to Ezekiel. And then Ezekiel writes it down, uh, what God has said to him. So the word of the Lord came unto me, Ezekiel says, saying, Son of man. Set thy face against Gog and the land of Magog and the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal and prophesy against them. Now there are some other names and countries in this two chapters, but the most important names, the ones we need to get right, is Magog and Gog. And as we talked about last week, I believe, and with a lot of support from great biblical scholars and experts in prophecy. And uh, you may remember we even looked at some of those ancient historians like Josephus who said Gog is uh, between the Caspian Sea, or was ancient Gog, between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea and, and north of that, which of course is Russia today. And uh, one historian 500 years before the time of Christ identified Magog as Russia, or the, the land mass that we know as Russia today. And uh, Gog is the leader, he's the human leader of Magog. And Magog actually means the land of Gog. So we identify those two up front again. And uh, we'll go from there. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable, I pray. 
Speak to us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week I started out by mentioning the war itself. I want to do that again. Last week I said to you there were 250 civilians killed at that point in time and thousands had been wounded. If you watching the news, which most of you probably are off and on, you see that number rising. According to Ukraine, now that number is over 2,000 citizens that have been killed. Many of those children and thousands have been wounded and injured. Now that 2,000 has not yet been verified by an independent source, but that's what the Ukraine is, uh, is saying. Also last week I talked about all of those refu refugees, of course, and there was, uh, there was several hundred thousand at the time. And uh, now there is 1.5 million, according to uh, the UN. And so this is just getting bigger and bigger. I told you last week, some people estimated 5 million refugees possibly before it's all over, and it certainly is heading in that direction. And uh, they're going into countries, mainly the countries that surround the Ukraine. One of those countries is, uh, uh, well, is where the and Andersons are from, Romania. And uh, it borders the Ukraine on the uh, southern end, a little bit uh, west. And so uh, the, the Andersons have, have been preparing to take in refugees. Now the Andersons are missionaries in Romania and they are members of our church. They have seven children, if you remember. And uh, they were prepared last night. I talked with Faith and Chris just yesterday evening. They were prepared last evening to take in 10 refugees into their home for, for at least two months. And uh, about two hours before that was supposed to happen, they got a call saying the refugees found another place. There was 30 of them coming in. And they wanted to be together if possible. And they found a place where they could be together. And so... Uh, so far, the Andersons have not taken in refugees, but that could happen today. And it's definitely going to happen sometime in the next few days. And so uh, please remember them uh, in your prayers. And they have financial needs. They're going to have to feed those ten. These refugees coming in, they have nothing, no money or anything. You have to, they'll have to feed these uh, refugees. And uh, their church is also going to take some. And they have three rooms where they can uh, house uh, 18 to 20 people, but those rooms have no heat. Uh, those rooms are used for a summer ministry where you don't need heat, and uh, so they need about $2,000 to put heat in there. So there's some prayer requests for you regarding the Andersons and the, uh, and the refugees. We've all seen those sad moments at the border where they're kissing goodbye and husbands and sons are going back into the country to fight the Russian war machine and women and children. About half, by the way, about half of that 1.5 million they're estimating is children 
women and children now going places they don't know for sure where they're going a lot of times or where they're going to eat next or how they're going to eat next and so we certainly want to pray for them and then I came across this uh, article from uh, CBN News and uh, from some Christians in Ukraine and this is what they this is how they said pray for us um, I'm quoting now, please pray that we could hear God in this time. The most deficit thing in our country now is peace in our hearts. Pray that our God, who is the Prince of Peace, would grant the peace in our hearts. And in that, in that condition of peace, we could see the way how we can build the kingdom in the time of war. How about that? I want us to stop and pray for the Ukrainians for a moment. Pray with me, please. Father, we do pray for the Christians who are in Ukraine. We pray for that peace, the peace that passeth all understanding, the peace that you can have even in the most difficult times in life. We pray for that peace. You are the Prince of Peace. And we pray that you'd help them to share that peace with others. And that this great and terrible thing that's going on will be used to draw people to yourself. That people will see their need of you there in the Ukraine. And then together again, we pray for the safety of the, of the uh, innocent people who are in the way of this terrible war. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I want us to go back and look at this verse 1 and 2, just verse 2 again. We have those names, Gog and Magog, identified them as Russia and the leader of Russia. Do I think Putin is Gog? Well, if they were to invade Israel and if these prophecies would come to place while Putin is still in office, then Putin would be Gog. But he may die, and there may be a, somebody to succeed him, and then there may be somebody to succeed him. Gog may be two or three leaders down from Putin. We don't know. But Gog will be the leader of Russia when the invasion that's spoken of here will take place. Um, and so then we see Meshach uh, and Tubal, those we identified as being also in Russia, uh, last week and then verse 5 Persia that's Iran Ethiopia if you got a new newer translation it'll say Cush the word the reason for that difference is Cush is the actual Hebrew word and uh, referring to Ethiopia and so the King James translators they just translated it into English for us so it's Ethiopia and then uh, Libya and if you, again if you got a newer translation you've got put there possibly and the same, same thing there. Persia, the old Persian Empire was not only Iran, it was Iraq and part of Afghanistan. So when you're talking about that ancient land mass, that's the group that you're, you're thinking of. And then, of course, Ethiopia and Libya are in northern uh, Africa. And then Gomer and his bands in the house of Tagarma. Uh, Tagarma is the eastern side of Turkey and and Gomer is the western side 
of Turkey. And uh, in the north quarters, and all his bands, and all the people with him. So here it describes this coalition, or this uh, uh, alliance, as I called it last week, this northern alliance that will come in uh, to Israel. Now, I want us to look again, if you would with me, at this, uh, this map of the War of Armageddon. And we'll come back to it in a minute, but for right now, let's just notice right there in the dark blue is Ukraine. And uh, Russia, of course, is right up against Ukraine. And then <clears throat> the middle of all biblical prophecy is uh, Israel. And that little star there is Israel. Now, I want to comment on the European uh, component of this puzzle we're putting together. Uh, you see Europe outlined there in, in black. That's important because Europe is going to be this revived Roman Empire that Daniel talks about in chapter 2. That the Roman Empire will come back, be revived. And uh, we see that here in this uh, uh, European Union of Nations. Uh, and really that's only taken place, uh, the, the European Union itself only started, was founded in 1993. Prior to that, there was a, uh, a union of those nations as well, but it changed in 1993. I guess what I'm saying to you is, we're seeing the stage being set for for this war to take place and we're seeing it in our generation we couldn't say the things we're saying today 75 years ago it wouldn't have made sense there was no revived Roman Empire there was no UE there was no NATO but those things exist today and because they exist we can see how this puzzle this Prophecy fits together. So let's think about Europe for just a minute. Uh, in Europe, there's 44 countries. And in the European Union, there are 27 member countries that are members of the European Union. That's important. The European Union is an economic alliance. So they help each other financially. And uh, they, uh, they've even got a... A, a currency that's the same now through Europe and so the the UE is Im, important now again I, I don't know if I said this a moment ago or not it's this 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 part of Europe that I circled in black that the Antichrist is going to rule over the Antichrist will rule over the revived Roman Empire so the stage is being set for, uh, for him to come on the scene. So, you have the European Union, then you have NATO, 30 countries in NATO. Uh, basically, it's the European Union plus one more that's not in, uh, not, uh, there's one additional one that's not in the European Union. And then there's two more, and that's the U.S. and Canada. 
So NATO is basically the, the UE plus America and Canada. Now, these things are rather important. Let me take a few moments to talk about them. The Antichrist is coming. The Bible says the Antichrist is coming. Now, he's going to be a great political leader to start with. He's going to be able to speak great swelling words. He'll be able to move the multitudes with the things that he says. He's so elegant. He's so intelligent. He's so powerful because he has behind him a supernatural working of Satan. But he will be a great leader to start with. It's only halfway through the tribulation period that uh, he becomes the madman that we know of in the, in the book of Revelation, the beast, you know, and all the terrible things he does to Israel. Uh, so he is coming. The Secretary of the United Nations in 1961 said, and I'm quoting now, we do not need another committee. We have too many already. We need a man, a man made of uh, sufficient stature to lift us up out of the economic confusion that we are in. Be that God or devil, we will receive him. What a statement. Back in 1961, be him God or devil. We want a man. We want a man to lead us. We want a man that stands out above everybody else. And that man is coming. The Antichrist. Now what makes NATO and the UE so important? Well, the UE is important because of the landmass. It is the revived Roman Empire landmass. And so the Antichrist will rule there sometime. And, uh, and then NATO is important because it's a military alliance. Where the UE is an economic alliance, the NATO is a military alliance. And you've heard them say on the news, I'm sure sometime in the last two weeks, week and a half, you've heard them say that the Section 5 of NATO says that if one of the NATO nations is attacked, then all of the NATO nations come together to war against whoever attacked one of those NATO nations. That's pretty, I mean, that's a pretty significant arrangement and alliance. And so, since we're talking about war here, really NATO may be more telling than the UE. NATO may be where we find a great leader come to the top and lead NATO. So I think somewhere, I, I probably the Antichrist is alive today. And he, he, he may not know he's the Antichrist, of course. He just has got great ambitions to be a great leader and willing to do anything it takes to get there. He may already be in a place of leadership or he may be a teenager. We don't know time-wise. But he will come on the scene. Now, I think he could be the head of NATO. If you think about it, he's going to offer to protect Israel. All you'd have to do is take Israel into NATO, and whoever was the head of NATO would be somebody who had made a covenant with Israel to protect them. Or he could be the leader of the UE. 
That may be where he gets his start. He may come up through the UE. Or he may be a, a leader in the UN, the United Nations, 193 nations of the world. And he could be the leader there. Eventually, I think he will be because he will be a one-world leader dictator. So at some time, maybe just before halfway through the tribulation period, he will become a, maybe the leader of the UN. Or maybe, you don't want to hear this, I know, and I don't want to say it either, but maybe he'll come through the United States. Maybe he'll be a great leader in the United States because the United States is the strongest leader in NATO. So that's possible as well. Why do we not see the U.S. in prophecy? That question gets asked pretty often. Um, there are several possibilities. Some people say because we are we are becoming more and more liberal and getting away from the Word of God that eventually we will become so weak we will not uh, we will not have much bearing on the end time events. I, I think that's possible. I th another view that I think is possible is that of course all of this is going to take place after the rapture happens. The catching away of all the redeemed people and so uh, I think the U.S. will be terribly weakened after the rapture. So many people are going to be caught up, and leaders will be caught up, senators and representatives and so forth, and maybe some generals. And if our president at that time, whenever that time comes, is a believer, he'll be caught up. We won't have a president. We'll be without leadership and so forth. So that would definitely weaken us so that we would not be the great power we are today. Possibly a little bit of all three of those could be the answer. Now, I took too much time there. I, I'm getting behind already. Look at the, I, want, I want us to look at some of the superpowers in the world today and how they fit our map we're going to look at in just a moment. The top five economic countries in the world, number one, United States, praise the Lord for that. Number two is China. Number three is Japan, and four, Germany, and five is the United Kingdom. I want you to notice that in these, in these three pages, I'm going to give you how that the United States and Russia and China are duplicated in there. This is the only one uh, without Russia in it. And then the second list is the five strongest armies in the world. U.S. at the top again. Russia here is second. And, uh, and then uh, China. China's military is bigger than Russia's, but Russia has more high-tech equipment and so forth. And then number four is India. India really has a, has a powerful uh, military uh, presence. Number four, strongest in the world, they're the number two in, in funding, funds, budget for their uh, war. And, and uh, they're, they're uh, you'll see in a moment, high in the number of people they have. And then uh, number five is Japan. So you have Russia, China, and the United States as, as those uh, countries that keep, keep coming up in all of these charts. And then one more, top armies by number. This is not the most powerful army. This is the army that has the most troops. Number one is China, two million. And uh, by the way, that's active. They have almost two million inactive that can be called in. So their army could be four million in a short amount of time. 
India has 1.5, so they're second in the world. And then the U.S. is third. Now, we're the strongest, again, we, because we have the, uh, the equipment and the technology and so forth. But uh, we're third when it comes to the number of troops. North Korea is 1.2, and Russia is 900,000. Now, oh, NATO. Let me, NATO together, remember, NATO is, uh, is 30 countries. Without the U.S., NATO has 2 million. So that makes them very strong. But with the U.S., that's 3.4. That's their 2 million plus our 1.4 up there, so that's 3.4. So that makes, that makes NATO the strongest military force on the planet. Now, you may remember Putin, one of the things Putin wanted and why he said he invaded Ukraine was he did not want Ukraine to join NATO. And because the more countries that join NATO, the stronger NATO becomes. And Putin has plans of great glory, of course. Uh, and so here's the numbers according to uh, troops. Now, I want us to look at the map again. We take away some of these things here and start with the invasion. This is the way the invasion is going to look. It's going to come, and this time, last time I had a lot of all those ancient names on there too. Now I've just got the present day names. I think it'll be a little more clear. So Russia will come down to Israel, and I started that little line there at uh, uh, Moscow, which is the capital. But uh, they come down on that natural land bridge between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea. And uh, the scripture says, we read it last week, they're going to come like a cloud. So maybe they'll start out with uh, planes. It looked like a great cloud coming down on uh, Israel. But along with that, then, we've got this alliance, if you remember, this, this scripture tells us about. We've got that alliance with uh, Iran, or Persia, as it was in the King James. We read it just a moment ago. And then we have Turkey. So all three of those coming, that's the northern alliance coming against Israel. And then you have the uh, southern alliance. Egypt is not mentioned in our text, but it is mentioned in Daniel chapter 11 as being a part of this coalition. So you've got Israel, uh, uh, Egypt, then you've got Libya, and then you've got the Sudan. That's the southern kingdom coming towards Israel. And then you have what the Bible calls the kings of the east. Here you have now these huge armies. You have China coming down. By the way, that... that uh, that term, kings of the east, means the kings of the, of the uh, coming up of the sun. So as far as you can see out there, that's China. And then you have North Korea, which is on the peninsula. The landmass is just outside of that A right there on North Korea. North Korea will come, and maybe India will be a part of that. Those three huge armies, all of them advancing towards Israel. Now remember, the battle is going to take place for about three and a half years. Now there may be lulls in there. I say battle, the war. There might be lulls and ceasefires along the way, but it will begin 
and then it will end three and a half years later. Now next week I plan on showing you, going over with you, 17 stages. And I'll give a little more detail in that. Right now I'm still trying to give the uh, over, overall view. Now, you're looking at, at that. Now remember that this is the revived Roman Empire up here that's going to be headed by uh, the Antichrist. And he's... He will come down probably at the very beginning to defend Israel because at this point he's watching over Israel. He's made a covenant with them according to Daniel chapter 9, a seven-year covenant that he will break halfway through. But in this first part, he's still watching out for Israel. So he's going to be a part. So Gog is not the Antichrist and uh, and in this battle here at the end, there is no good guys. You know, when you, watch a, when you watch an old western, you always pull for the good guy. There is no good guy in this. Uh, they're all evil. That is, the leaders and the people. It's not to say there's no people in the world that's going to trust Christ. There's going to be a great revival during the tribulation period. Many people will be saved. But... Uh, there's no good guy in this war. Maybe Israel, we might say, is the good guy. But actually, at this point in time, Israel has rejected their Messiah. And a part of what all of this is doing is bringing Israel to their Messiah, the Lord Jesus. So, no good guys. Now, I want to talk about some of these alliances here. I don't... I may take more time than I want to here. I'm trying to move as quickly as I can. But I think it's important that we see, if we're thinking about the uh, stage being set, we need to think about some of these leaders. Here we have Putin, who possibly is Gog in the prophecy. We don't know. The leader of Russia. Here we have uh, Putin. And... Uh, Give me just a second here to find that quote I need. So we have, here in this picture, we have Putin and Mr. Xi, Xi Jinping. And uh, so this is Russia and China. Now over the many years of their existence, Russia and China have been enemies of each other. But really, just in the past 10 years, could we think of Russia and China being allies? Just in the last 10 years, just since Mr. Xi has taken office. And, uh, and we know, according to Daniel chapter 11, that at the close to the end of this three-and-a-half-year war, China and Russia are going to work together. That was not a possibility up until about ten years ago. So again, you see the stage is being set. According to New York Times, the, uh, the two militaries 
befriend each other and the, the two leaders befriend each other. I'm looking for a particular quote here that says, uh, I know what it says, I can't find it. I'll just, I'll just quote it from my memory. In 2019, Mr. Xi, the Russian, uh, the, uh, the uh, leader of China said about Putin, he's my best friend. Can you imagine that? These two dictators, two of the largest armies in the world, most powerful armies in the world, they have become uh, what he called best friend. Uh, and then, here's another picture. All these pictures took place in just the last few years. They also have had military maneuvers together. That's pretty interesting. They got their armies together. And they uh, went through training and maneuvers. There, of course, is a sub. And here is, you can't tell who they are probably, but that's Putin and Mr. Xi walking in front of, a, of an elite group of uh, Chinese uh, soldiers. Again, this is just happening in the last 10 years where we see how this alliance can come uh, together. The, uh, the writer of one article says that even though this bilateral relationship is not a formal alliance, in its closeness and effectiveness, this relationship even exceeds that of a formal alliance, end of quote. And again, an article, it was the first time this, at the Olympics, this past Olympics, just a few weeks ago, Putin and Mr. Xi met and, uh, and, and spent a long time together and I won't, I don't have time to give you those details, but this is what was said about it. It was the first time China had explicitly endorsed Russia's demand for a halt to NATO expansion, end of quote. Now, not only does Russia not want an expanding NATO, neither does China, and they've agreed on that. Also, it says, and I'm quoting, the two leaders also vowed to resist American-led efforts to promote democracy end of quote interesting and so we see the stage being set can you see what I'm talking about when I say the stage I'm not saying it's fixing to happen but I'm saying things are being put in place so that it can happen when the time comes stage is being set and uh, here is Putin with Rouhani who is the leader of Iran. If you look at those two faces, those both are the faces of evil. Iran has said over and over again they want to wipe Israel off the map. And uh, they pa uh, Rouhani passed a law that you cannot demonstrate against Putin. You can burn American flags in the street and chant death to America and the whole country's uh, for it, the, even the leadership and Rouhani. 
You can shout death to Israel and wipe them off the map and have thousands of people protesting to shout that out. Rouhani is good with that. But you cannot criticize Putin. I find that very interesting, don't you? That's quite an alliance they have. The, uh, then I think this is another picture of them, just a little closer up. The faces of evil, you can see it was taken in 2018. All of these pictures, as I said, in the last four years. And then you have Putin with uh, Mr. Erdogan. Erdogan is the president of Turkey. And if you remember our map, the three nations that were in alliance coming against Israel, the alliance of the north was what? Russia, Iran, and Turkey. Here he is with Turkey. And uh, they have a good relationship as well. And here's the three of them. These are the three leaders of the landmass, the countries, that Ezekiel said 2,500 years ago would come together against Israel. And just in the past 10 years has it been possible that they could have an alliance together, but it is there today. So we see the stage being set. Things are coming into play so that this great war will take place. Then if you put all of them up there, you've got the four main players, including China, that are on, on that map I put together for you and that come from this prophecy right here. Wow. The stage is being set. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24? I showed it to you last week. But he said about... They asked him, how do we know when you're coming back? And what's the signs of your coming? And he, he gave them some signs. There'll be wars and rumors of wars. There will be pestilence, which could be translated um, pandemic. There will be earthquakes and so forth. And right in the middle of that, but Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Don't be troubled because of all of this. Now we know as Christians, we're going to be caught up in the rapture. We're going to be gone before any of this happens. Tribulation will last seven years. The worst part of it, the great tribulation, will last three and a half years. We're going to be gone before the seven years start. But we can see things being moved around and the, and the stage being set for this great drama. So how can we not be troubled? I know watching the news troubles people sometimes, doesn't it? We, I mean, we live in a troubling world. We're just about to get out of this pandemic, and now we have a war going on with the mention of nuclear weapons. And who else will get involved? Will it be a World War III? We don't know. But it's troubling. But Jesus said, don't be troubled. How can that be? The... the, the on the outside, there can be plenty of trouble, but you can still have God's peace on the inside. Habakkuk was a prophet. He was a prophet right before Babylon invaded 
Samaria and Judea, just before he invaded Judea, before Babylon invaded Judea, Habakkuk was a prophet there. So he wrote this three-chapter minor prophets. By the way, the minor prophets are called minor because they're small, not because they're not important. They're just short. And the major prophets are longer. So Habakkuk writes three chapters, and in that he said something that is echoed for the last two and a half thousand years. He made that, he was the first one to write this statement under inspiration, the just shall live by faith. Three times that's repeated in the New Testament. The just shall live by faith. We're saved by faith, yes, but we're to live by faith as well in our everyday life, trusting Christ for what we need, just like we trusted him as our Savior. And then he comes to the end of his... He comes to the end of his uh, prophecy, his, I'm sorry, his uh, book, being a prophet, it, it, he, he is, it is a prophecy, a book of prophecy. When he comes right to the end, he makes a remarkable statement of faith. Some people have said it's the most remarkable statement of faith in Scripture. Notice what he says. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, Neither shall fruit be in the vine, nor labor of the olive. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. In other words, the Babylonians are coming. It's going to be devastating. Their country is going to be torn apart. People are going to be carried away as prisoners. He says, even if all of this happens and it's terrible and you can't, you can't buy food and it's just the worst case scenario. He says, notice the next verse. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Hey, even if, uh, even if there is a, a war as terrible as that is, you and I are going to heaven one day. We know the final result. And we know that if we, we don't die first, we'll be caught up in the rapture before any of this happens. We ought to joy in the Lord. Now, there are other troubles that we all have, physical problems, sometimes marital problems. We should rejoice in the midst of that, not for it, not, not saying it's good, but rejoice anyway because God's still on the throne. And God is still our Savior and has given us salvation. Look at it again. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Is he the God of your salvation? Let's joy in him then. Let's enjoy him and praise him and rejoice in him. And then the next verse he says, The Lord God is my strength. You need some strength to face what's going on in your life or what's going on in the world? Here it is. This is where we get our strength. The Lord God is my strength, and he shall make my feet like hinds feet, or like a, like, a, uh, uh, like a goat that's on the side of a mountain and on rocky places. He's so sure-footed, 
He can stand and he can move and he can go through the rough places uh, on the mountainside. You and I can go through the rough places and still stand for the Lord. That's the idea. But it'll be him strengthening us. It'll be him giving the victory. It'll be him giving the, the joy. And then he says, and he would make me to walk upon my high places. High places is the idea of fellowship with God. I can, I can fellowship with the Almighty even if things are so difficult around me are so difficult uh, in the world. So how can we have that joy? First of all, yield to his lordship. There's no peace or joy without yielding first to his lordship. I'm speaking to believers. Before that, though, if you're not a believer, trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Trust him and him alone to save you and forgive you and come into your heart. But as a believer, yield to his lordship. Let him be all in all for you. And then trust him. Remember the great statement that Habakkuk said, the just shall live by faith. Trust him. Trust him for the strength you need. Trust him for the joy you want. Trust him for the peace you need in troubled times. He's the giver of peace. He's the prince of peace. He's the God of peace. And he can give peace. Would you bow with me please? I left out some. I'll have to come back next week and finish things up. I was going to do that anyway, but I hope it made sense this morning. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, this is some pretty serious stuff. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to pray for you before we close. If that's your prayer, would you slip your hand up right now? Pray for me. I've never received Christ as my Lord and Savior. No one will come to you or embarrass you. We're just going to pray for you. Anyone? All right. Father, thank you for our time together. Make it profitable, I pray. Teach us, warn us that these things are happening. They're going to happen. Maybe not even in our lifetime, though. But we know they're going to happen. And we can certainly see the stage being set. You're the sovereign of the universe. And even if the plants don't bloom and the food doesn't come in and the meat is cut off, yet will we praise you. Yet will we rejoice in you and joy in you, the God of our salvation and our strength. Encourage our hearts now. May each of us find that joy and peace and strength that you promise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Dr. Miller.